Welcome to In Conversation, the podcast that fuels your entrepreneur spirit. Brought to you by Inhomoko. We deliver thought-provoking conversations with industry leaders, game changers, and unsung heroes, all making an impact in their communities and shaping the future of business. Let's grow together and transform the world, one business at a time. Hello, everyone. We're back with another exciting episode of In Conversation. My name is Mahalit Kamva, and I am the Business Growth Services Director for Ethiopia. Today, I'm very much excited and honored to have Cheryl Dorsey, the president of Equine Green. Uh, you have accomplished so much uh, to date. I would like to also invite you to share who you are and also a bit about your professional journey. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Malit. It's so lovely to meet you. I love talking about social innovation. I enjoy spending time with Echoing Green funded organizations and the work that you do is extraordinary. So it's a true honor for me to be here with you uh, and your team. I have been a part of the social innovation field for a very long time, almost 30 years now. Um, But before my career in social innovation, I had a fairly disparate and some would say meandering career. I started out in college studying history, but it overlapped with my interest in caring for people in my interest in science and medicine. So I ultimately went off to medical school um, because I was interested in becoming a pediatrician and working with children. During my medical school journey, I got exposed to issues of public policy because I got a scholarship to go to the John F. Kennedy School of Government where I did get a public policy degree, which was another introduction for me around how social change happens using public policy as a lever. And during that time, almost 30 years ago, I heard about this brand new fellowship program called Echoing Green. And I was working with an extraordinary doctor in Boston looking at the issue of infant mortality rates and racial health disparities. At the time, Black babies were dying at three times the rate of white babies which is uh, atrocious and awful enough, but the fact that it was happening in the shadows of some of the world's greatest medical facilities was a terrible inequity that my colleague, Dr. Nancy Oriol, and I um, couldn't turn away from and began to work on. And we started working on a solution, a mobile health unit to connect community members into existing services. But like all startup entrepreneurs, we had no money and no connections. So we heard about this new fellowship called Echoing Green. I applied for it, was honored enough to receive one back in 1992. And it really did change the trajectory of my professional life and brought me into this wonderful community of social innovators. Um, And I'm still at it. Following up to that, how have the different uh, milestones in medicine the global policy White House also shaped you as a leader. How has been that experience for you? It's been an interesting journey in two respects. And I think the first is probably applicable to all of us as we sort of build our professional careers, trying to answer for yourself that question of where do I fit best? How can I apply my unique skills and gifts to make the biggest difference on issues that care that that I care about deeply. And for me, it took me a while to figure that out. So I had to try a variety of different hats on, try a variety of different roles to figure out where I thought I could best apply my skills to make a difference. 
So I tried medicine, but it was hard for me to treat one child at a time when I realized there were structural factors preventing them from having a true opportunity to thrive. I tried public policy working at the highest levels of the U.S. government, but I found that the bureaucratic infrastructure and bureaucracy was maddening to me. It was just too slow. I was also an advocate. I didn't want to compromise on the things that I believed in. So recognize that that was not necessarily a good fit. I tried going into the private sector for a few years, but I recognize I am not motivated by a profit margin. I'm motivated by social impact. So it's a matter of figuring out what makes most sense for you and the legacy you want to leave professionally. That was the first thing. I think the other thing is I really am committed to, and I would say obsessed with driving positive social change. And there are many levers to do that. Um, you can do it through policy, you can do it through advocacy, you can do it through innovation, you can do it through narrative change. And so I wanted to try a variety of different roles to figure out a way that I thought best drove social innovation um, and social change. And I think I landed in social innovation because innovation is a methodology for leapfrogging current constraints. And that was very appealing to me as someone who doesn't think change is happening fast enough to make lives better for more people. That is very true. I agree. You have been featured as one of the America-based leaders by the U.S. News and also the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard Kennedy School. What is, for you, what contributes the most of being the best leader? Well, I'll say up front, uh, Malit, I'm not sure I deserve those honorifics, but I was privileged to be included uh, on those lists. But I do think a lot about leadership because I work with many leaders and I'm exposed to the work and the learnings of many leaders. And I think one thing is to stay curious and always be learning. And I find that the older I get, the more I know, the more I realize what I don't know. So the notion that I've got more learning to do and I've got to work harder and absorb more and be exposed to more, I think is an important trait for some of the best leaders because circumstances change, our context change. So you have to change as a leader and you've got to get smarter. You've got to understand the data that is coming into you at all times. So Always uh, being a student of the world, I think, is very important. And then I think far too often we forget first principles. It's not fancy advice, Malik, but the notion of being humble and respectful, I think, is so important. But I often think that ego and hubris allow some leaders to separate themselves from the folks they serve or the folks with whom they work. And I think that is a terrible a mistake for a leader, because I think you get your ability to lead, to learn, um, to give back uh, by working in service to others. That is very true. And powerful words that you've shared, Cheryl. While like, we're still at Echoing Green topic, you know, maybe for the audience that doesn't really know much about the Echoing Green, uh, Echoing Green Fellowship is a program uh, renowned for supporting countless social entrepreneurs in bringing transformative ideas to life, including public figures like Michelle Obama and our very own uh, Julian and Sarah. Uh, they were part of the 2015 cohort. It would be very interesting to know what do you look for in the entrepreneurs you invest in? Yes. So thank you for that question, because it really is such an important part of our work. I mean, we run 
an annual global social business plan competition. And, you know, we receive thousands of applications from all over the world, from 160 countries around the world. And we select, you know, less than one or two percent of those who apply to us. So we work very hard to identify qualities and characteristics that we think are highly correlated with being a successful social change agent, a successful transformational leader. And I will say, you know, there are things that we look for in terms of leadership qualities, but also things that we look for in terms of the business plan that's submitted. And I would say the entrepreneurial qualities are far more important than the business plan because we fund at such an early stage. We know that almost immediately that business plan will no longer be relevant because context changes. The input you get as you're building your organization changes. So as I said, we really rely on who we think that entrepreneur is. And we think there are a couple of really important qualities that makes a social entrepreneur highly successful. The first thing is purpose and passion. You know, do you care deeply about the issue or community with whom you're working? And it's clear, I spent some time with the Incomoco team, not just Julian and Sarah, but a, a broader group. It's so clear how deeply committed you are to the work and to the communities you're serving. And startup organizations and startup work is incredibly hard. So often you only have your purpose and passion. You don't have money, you don't have support, you don't have infrastructure. So purpose and passion really matters. Also perspective and resilience. I think you all know as well as I do that failure obstacles are an incredibly important part of building new enterprises. If you're not failing, you're not innovating, you're not reaching high enough, you're not trying and testing and iterating. So you're going to fail. How do you get up and continue on? So you've got to be resilient um, and have a sense of how you persevere. We also think very hard about how leaders Think about their work within a larger movement, right? Because no one organization is big enough, powerful enough to drive the systems change required. So you've got to see yourself as part of a broader movement, as something larger. So having that historical perspective where you sit in a broader movement and what you think your role could play in that larger movement, um, moving towards transformation and understanding how you're going to inspire your stakeholders to action is really important. And then something that we talk about at Echoing Green, which we certainly saw in Julianne and Sarah, is this notion of resource magnetism. How are you able to attract others, other people, resources, money, publicity, board members to your cause? And that stickiness as a leader, we find is a very important quality for uh, successful social innovators. So that should give your audience and uh, your colleagues a sense of, of how we think about this process every year. Definitely. Yes, exactly. Of all this, like, you know, transformative ideas you've been seeing, are there any ideas that has like taken root in Africa through this program or who've completed this program, uh, but has a base in, in Africa? Yes, indeed. I mean, again, we're so proud um, to know you all and to see the work that you all have done in, in Komoko. It's just extraordinary. I would add to that list and it's not exhausted, but you know, we, we don't have a lot of time. So I'll just share a couple of examples. So I think about um, Shining Hope for Communities run by the extraordinary Kennedy Odede, founded by Kennedy and Jess Posner Odede, um, the now the largest community development organization in Kenya. They've done extraordinary work. I just got an email the other day from the Hilton Foundation that 
Andrew Yoon and One Acre Fund just received the 2023 Hilton Humanitarian Prize. So that's huge. And the fact that Andrew and his team have built the largest network of smallholder farmers um, in Africa, if not in the world, sort of bundling access to credit, market access, uh, and technical assistance to serve more smallholder farmers is extraordinary. Um, and I look at efforts like African Leadership Academy, founded by Fred Schwanecker and Chris Bradford, that really did a beautiful job of shining a light on the extraordinary talent that exists on the African continent. And how do you focus on building the next generation of ethical leadership that is there in abundance um, and creating a pipeline for these next uh, generation of scholars and learners and doers? So those are just a few, and I'm, I've left out so many, but that should give you a sense of the extraordinary social innovators, including you all at Incomoco, that um, are at work on the continent. Yes, amazing. Maybe also specific to uh, Ethiopia, where I'm based at, uh, Ethiopia has the long-term uh, vision of becoming, you know, the African beacon of prosperity, uh, which will be sustained through high growth uh, achieved under the growth and the transformation plans uh, of the previous decade, while facilitating, you know, the shift towards more private sector-driven uh, economy or engagement. So as a, a trailblazer in advancing social entrepreneurship and informing policy, what are some of the practical ways to promote the shift to a private sector-driven economy on the continent? Mm. That's a big question, Malet, totally above my pay grade, but um, <laughs> you, you, you um, can see um, what uh, governments have done around the world to create that kind of ecosystem, as you said, to support the growth of a, um, a private sector-driven economy. And it's a comprehensive, holistic set of policies and activities. It's things like hospitable and enabling policies that allow entrepreneurs and businesses to thrive. So what do the policies look like in terms of access to credit? Um, what does the banking infrastructure look like? How do you think about setting up technical assistance vehicles to help SMEs grow and thrive? It also requires sort of narrative shift work, sort of the power of business. And in most countries, it really is uh, SMEs um, that are the major employers. So telling the stories of the importance of entrepreneurship and business development to driving economies forward. And I do think also good governance practices to ensure transparency, reduce corruption, ease and facility of information transfer, all of the things that are required to build an infrastructure that allows you to build your economy. And I have no doubt that the government is thinking about that. It, it then becomes all about execution and the ability to put those pieces in place. Yes, very true. And maybe in addition to that, through the lens of your, your lens of social entrepreneurship, what does the world look like in 2030? I am both an optimistic pessimist and a pessimistic optimist. So on the one hand, we all look across the world and we have just so many challenges ahead of us. Climate change, racial injustice, wealth inequality, backsliding um, of democratic practice around the world. We've got a lot of work to do, and I do think that our current governmental structures 
are not set up to solve them in the way that we need them to solve these problems. But on the other hand, because I have the privilege and honor of working with so many social entrepreneurs and social innovators, it does give me hope that you've got millions of leaders out in the world who are not waiting. They are not waiting for anyone to come to save us. They are rolling up their sleeves and going about innovating, disrupting, trying to change inequitable and ill-functioning systems. And their innovation, their creativity, their imagination, their commitment is just dazzling. It's really inspiring. And my sense is that if enough innovators can come together, keep doing their work, scale their work, have an enabling ecosystem that best supports them, then I think we've got a chance to really tackle these issues and create a 21st century that really unlocks the potential of so many people around the world. So I think on balance, Violet, I, I'm hopeful because I see so many social innovators at work every day around the world. Uh, talking about challenges, you have shared in the past that one of the biggest challenges facing the social entrepreneurs is perception of maybe it's too risky. Well, as in Comico, we work with entrepreneurs largely with the youth, women, you know, from refugee to hosting community populations in, in various countries um, in Africa. Why is it important to shift the risk perception and some of the solutions, maybe if you can tell us, you have leveraged or seen action to shift that? I think that the world and those in power use the term risk to exclude more of us. You know, risk becomes another way of othering a whole group of people and diminishing and marginalizing people. And so I think the first thing is to recognize what it is. It's a way to exclude, not include. So I think being true to principles of justice and equity calling out this false narrative and framework, there's nothing to disprove that assumption and that assessment better than demonstrating the success of the entrepreneurs with whom you work, providing them with the technical assistance and capital to build their businesses um, and to begin to dramatically increase their livelihoods and their opportunities that's the way we disrupt that framework. And then I think increasingly more of us are going to have to sort of leave our entrepreneurial positions to go into policy work and governance work to fundamentally change the rules of the road. So imagine if, you know, after all you've learned in Komoko, you take on a, a role in government or in the private sector and have the responsibility for shifting risk management policies, creating new conditions for businesses and who's considered fundable and who is not that would make a huge difference as well. So another reason I like social innovation is because it's, it's this extraordinary talent pipeline that once you invest in leaders like those at Incomoco, you can go off and do many other things and influence how the broader system works. Yes, very true. And maybe a follow-up to that, why are the social justice and you know equity key pillars uh, in any entrepreneurial uh, journey? I think um, equity and justice are, in many ways, our North Star, right? We all need values and principles 
that help guide us because so much of our work changes depending on circumstances. You've got to pivot, you've got to iterate, you've got to retrench, you've got to shift your, your planning. But what should never shift are some of those core values and what it is you're fighting for, what it is you're building towards. And I think that in particular, equity is, is critical because equity as well as justice are linked very closely to the notion of inclusion and I think increasingly in the 21st century, there is no way we are going to solve our problems collectively unless we get more voices, more perspectives, more talent into the work. And that requires equitable and just practices. So I think you can't disentangle both of those from the work that any of us do. Yes, definitely. So maybe earlier you've been mentioning that you've been holding like too many hats uh, over the years. I would be even very interested to know what career would you pursue that you haven't already? I think I would pursue a career in teaching. Both of my parents were teachers and they were very good teachers and they cared deeply for their students. And I saw the difference they made in their students' lives. And I saw the joy they got from working with young people. Um, and I experience a lot of that in my work already. I get to work with a lot of young people and be inspired by them, learn from them, and hopefully give a little bit back. And I think uh, I would greatly enjoy that give and take. So maybe, maybe when I retire, that's my next career. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe one more last thing. What would you advise to innovators and social entrepreneurs, help them, you know, tackle problems and also to be able to support their thriving communities. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard this already, but I think it's quite profound, this notion of it's more important to fall in love with the problem than the solution. I think far too many uh, young social innovators decide I'm going to start this company or I'm going to focus on this. It very well could be that the marketplace or the world is not ready for that particular solution, or it's just impossible to acquire the resources that you need to, to execute on that solution. But that problem that is impacting so many people's lives remains. And you should take everything you have to dig into that problem and determine where in the ecosystem you are best suited to play a role in dismantling the structures that enable that problem to persist. And I think over the course of our careers, our job is to figure out where can we be excellent? And it could be that being a teacher is the best way to be excellent for you in the world, or being a government official because you know how to navigate the bureaucracy and make the government more amenable to the people. Uh, that might be the best way to serve. But I think figuring out um, your relationship to the problem versus the solution is, is really important. And it Great. Thank you so much. I hope that uh, we've learned so much from this session. I know that I did a lot. It was a great honor to, to have you in our in conversation for this episode. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you, Mala. It was indeed my pleasure and honor. Uh, a great gift to be with you. At Ingomoko, we're dedicated to empowering entrepreneurs across Africa with the tools, resources, and knowledge they need to flourish in today's competitive business landscape. Now we're bringing that passion to this podcast, taking you on a journey through inspiring stories from around the globe.